we want to continue the series on Born Free from Sin. And uh, in the previous teaching, we had a look at uh, examples in Scripture of uh, individuals who have, in fact, walked free from sin. We looked at the Apostle John and his uh, um, ministry team. We saw that in his letter, he spoke about the fact that he and his team enjoyed fellowship with the Lord. And he explained that one cannot walk in fellowship with the Lord and walk in darkness at the same time. And that's walking in sin is in fact walking in darkness. And so the Apostle John and his team certainly had learned to walk uh, in the light as our Lord is in the light. And in him is no sin. And they certainly enjoyed walking in fellowship with the Lord, thus walking free from known sin. And we had a look at the Apostle Paul. And uh, there were a number of scriptures that we looked at that he quoted uh, which dealt with the same topic. And so we, we saw very clearly that he walked free from sin. And then we looked at our Lord Jesus um, as the ultimate example. For the Bible does teach us that we are to follow after Christ um, and we are to look, off, look at him as our ultimate example. And we saw obviously when our Lord was walking on the earth that he walked the earth as a man, not as the Son of God. And so he was subject to the same temptations that we are, and yet he never once committed any sin. And we concentrated on the time period when our Lord actually went to the cross, that 12-hour period where he suffered um, tremendous pain. And in all of that, our Lord never once committed any sin. And so the Holy Spirit puts forward the Lord Jesus as an example to us in the book of Hebrews. And he says that um, we're not to grow weary um, I'm kind of paraphrasing, because none of us have resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And then he puts forward, obviously, our Lord Jesus as the ultimate example. And so we saw very clearly that it is possible for Christians to walk uh, free from sin. What we want to have a look at today is the topic of grace, because uh, grace can be misunderstood can be misapplied. Um, even under, uh, in the early church, Paul had to deal with the same problem. Um, you know, Satan, it's the same devil that we're dealing with today that Paul and Peter and John and the other apostles and even our Lord Jesus dealt with when they were on the earth. And so, you know, Satan has not changed any of his tactics. He still continues to use the same thing. What he does is he takes um, an element of truth out of Scripture and then he uh, distorts that truth. And that is where uh, people get a little bit confused about this uh, message of grace. For we all are under grace, but we do need to understand how it actually does tie in with this concept about walking free from sin. Because I did make a comment in a previous uh, teaching in this series that we're under grace, but we need to walk a, a disciplined lifestyle. And we saw in the steps that we need to take in order to walk free from sin, one of those steps is that we need to walk in the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. And so self-control involves being a, a disciplined in our walk as believers and not giving, um, uh, Peter says, do not use uh, uh, grace as a vice for, um, as, a, as a cloak for vice. And Paul also says we shouldn't use it to um, be able to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so there is that element that comes in that grace, because grace is available to the church, it was not available under the old covenant. 
Um, we'll see the scriptures along this line. Grace and truth was introduced by our Lord Jesus Christ into the earth. Moses introduced the law. Our Lord Jesus introduced grace and truth. And so grace can be abused, but it was not ever designed and meant by the Lord for grace to be abused. But let's have a look at what the scripture does say on the subject, and we'll have then a clearer understanding of the, a biblical uh, understanding of how grace is actually intended for the church. And so in order to understand that we're under grace, we do need to understand that everybody outside of the body of Christ is under law. And that's everybody. I'm not talking about uh, the Jewish nation now. I'm talking about Hindus. I'm talking about um, Chinese people, Japanese people, um, Buddhists, whatever religion, whatever race you can think of, everybody is under the law. Um, it's only those who are in Christ that are under grace. Everyone else is under law. And so we can pick up on scripture along that line, which is in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And we need to have understanding of this concept in order for us to have a clearer understanding of what grace is for the church today. And the scripture says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, when the Apostle Paul writes this uh, letter to the uh, churches in Galatia, he's writing to Gentile believers. He's not writing to Jewish believers at all because he actually uh, deals with them because they had started to try and observe uh, certain elements in the law, and Paul rebukes them on that issue. And so these are Gentile believers he's writing to. And, but nevertheless, he says, um, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so he's not talking about the law of Moses here. He's talking about a law that all unbelievers are under. And our Lord Jesus, he was born under the law. He was born under the, under the law of Moses, yes, but he was also born under the law that, is, that pertains to the whole earth today. And so every single person on the planet is under law. And the reason that they're under law is because um, God has put laws into the earth. And that is why God can hold everyone accountable uh, on the day of judgment, because they would have transgressed the law of God. And so even those who have never heard of the law of Moses, uh, think about people that are living in, in the Amazon. Nevertheless, on their day of judgment, they will be held accountable for transgressing the laws of God. So we'll get into just briefly a brief understanding about what law the world is under, because everyone is under law. We were under law. Our Lord Jesus has redeemed those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Not talking about the Jews now, talking about the church. And so all of us, before we were born again, were under law. Another scripture we can look at to now to just highlight the truth for us that everybody on the planet is under law outside of Christ. Romans chapter 5 verses 12 to 14. The scripture says, Therefore, just as through one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, not just to uh, certain categories of men. This is how death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, speaking of the law of Moses now, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no, when there is no law. Nevertheless, 
death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And so this passage of Scripture very clearly tells us that everyone is under law, because even because death can only enter through sin. And sin can only take place if there is a transgression of the law. Now, the law that can only, there is only one law that can be transgressed, and that is the law of God. There's no other law um, that mankind is held accountable before God on their day of judgment, except His law. And so the scripture very plainly tells us that everybody was under law, even from Adam to Moses. So before the law was introduced into the earth through Moses, People were under law because death was reigning. And the scripture says death can only spread to the individual who commits sin because the scripture says, and thus death spread to all men. This is how death spread to all men because all sinned. And so everybody had to be able to transgress the law of God in order for them to die spiritually. And everybody had been dying spiritually and does die spiritually in the earth. So there is a law that mankind transgresses, which has the effect of uh, causing spiritual death to take place in them. So what is that law? Well, it's not the law, he says, because nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those who, over those who had not sinned, according to the tra- likeness of the transgression of Adam. So what was the transgression of Adam? Well, we pick it up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. The scripture says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So what had happened is that obviously God had given a a commandment to Adam and Eve. Thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the only law they had. They transgressed that law. And on that day, our Lord said, In the day that you eat that fruit, in that day you will surely die. They both died spiritually. So that was the law they transgressed. Now the Apostle Paul says, Death reigned uh, from Adam to Moses, even those over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of, of Adam. Now, the reason that no one could sin according to the likeness of Adam is because that tree um, of the knowledge of good and evil, no one could get to it anymore because God had removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, and that's where the tree was. And so no one could commit that particular uh, sin anymore. They couldn't transgress that law. Nevertheless, people were dying spiritually. And so the Apostle Paul is saying that there was a law in the earth. Now, the law that was in the earth, and I'm not going to get into any kind of depth on the subject because it, it's quite an extensive uh, teaching that we have to go through, um, was in fact the law of the conscience. Because when the, the scripture says that when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. The, the Bible says the eyes were opened. Now the eyes that were opened on that, that uh, when they committed that sin were the eyes of their conscience. Their conscience had been present uh, up until that time, but the eyes of their conscience had been closed because they didn't need a conscience because a conscience is given to us by God to discern the difference between good and evil, to choose good and reject evil. 
Now, they only knew good. There was no evil present in the Garden of Eden. So they are, the eyes of their conscience did not need to be opened. However, once they transgressed the commandment of God, that is when um, the Bible says that their eyes were open. And our Lord says here in Genesis chapter 3, He says, um, And behold, a man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And so Adam and Eve from that day forward knew good and evil. And that's what the conscience is given to us for, for us to know good and reject evil. That's pretty much what the conscience is there for. And so everybody's conscience, uh, when they were born into the earth after Adam and Eve, um, the conscience is the law that God had placed within each individual. And when we transgress the law of our conscience, we are going against the law of God. And that's the law that everybody in the earth transgresses. Everybody has a conscience and everybody uh, overrides their conscience at the age of accountability, which is the age of 13. We're not going to go into that in any kind of depth today. And so from the time that an individual is born into the earth until the age of 13, they have a conscience that is part of the inward man, but the eyes of their conscience remain closed. And so they are not held accountable for any sin in that time period. Our Lord speaking, God the Father speaking in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 39 says, Moreover, your little ones and your children who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it and they shall possess it. And so God was saying that children have no knowledge of good and evil. Now it doesn't mean that they don't have a conscience. It just means that the eyes of their conscience haven't yet been opened. And so God deems them to be innocent. He says they have no knowledge of good and evil. And that's what the conscience is given to us for, is to give us knowledge of good and evil. That's what Adam and Eve had when they partook of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They then had knowledge of good and evil. The eyes of their conscience was open. And so at the age of accountability, which is the age of 13, that's when the eyes of everyone's conscience is open for the first time. They now then have knowledge of good and evil before God. And when they commit sin, when they choose to transgress the law of their conscience, whatever it might be, that is when they transgress God's law, and that is when they die spiritually. And so that is why everybody dies spiritually, and thus everybody needs to be born again. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, he said, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And so as a child, Paul recognized that he was spiritually alive to God. But there came that time at his age of 13 that the commandment came, sin revived and he died. So he died spiritually. And so every single person is born into the earth born under the law. Grace is not involved. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were not under grace. They were under law. God said to them, when, on the day you partake of that fruit, in that day you will surely die. The moment they partook of the fruit, they died spiritually. There was no grace extended to them. God didn't say, all right, you've sinned once. If you do it three times, then you're out. Not at all. The moment that they committed sin, their spirits died straight away. Why is that? Because they were born under law. Now, it sounds kind of strange that Adam and Eve were born, but the Bible does tell us in, I think it's the Gospel of Matthew, either Luke or Matthew's Gospel, 
in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ, traces, it will be Luke's gospel, traces uh, our Lord's genealogy all the way back to Adam after the flesh I'm talking about, and calls Adam the son of God. Now, he was the son of God because the Bible says that Adam was a type of him who was to come, Jesus, who is the son of God. And so Adam and Eve were born uh, by God as fully mature. They, They weren't born as babies, but nevertheless, they were born under the law and they were created under law they had this law thou shalt not eat of that tree that's the only law they had everybody else that's born into the earth is born under the law what law the law of the conscience which god imparts to every single person that's born into the earth and so that's why at the age of 13 they, they die spiritually and so when one is born under the law there's no grace and so when there's no grace, when sin is committed, death comes. There's no time period given to, for a lapse. The moment sin is committed, any transgression, it matters not on the, the degree of the transgression. It might be a simple, like what the, term, the world calls a white lie. There's no such thing in the Bible, but nevertheless, a, a very small transgression of their conscience, because your conscience will always convict you not to tell a lie. And so... The, the moment that one, one's eyes of their conscience is opened, uh, the child now is a, a, an adult as far as God's concerned, at age 13, the moment they transgress, there's no grace. The moment that that happens, the, the spirit of that individual dies because they're under law. And that's why Paul said, I once was alive without the law. Now, he was without law, he was born under the law, but law was not applicable to him in that 13 year. That's kind of a grace period right there. God, for the first 13 years of our lives, deems us to be having no knowledge of good and evil. And so we do commit sin, children commit sin all the time, but God does not impute that sin to them because he says they have no knowledge of good and evil. However, the age of accountability, 13, kicks in and they commit sin no matter what no matter what sin they commit because they've been born under the law, that law is applied and the moment the transgression takes place, the same thing that happened to Adam and Eve happens to everybody on the earth. Their spirits die straight away. There's no grace there. And so that is the condition of everybody in the earth. And so it's one of the other reasons why we need a savior because... We have no uh, way around it because all of us die spiritually because we're all born under the law. And so we do need um, a Savior, and the Savior is Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, as I mentioned, grace came through Jesus. Moses introduced the law into the earth, but don't forget the law of the conscience has been in the earth and continues to be in the earth throughout the earth until the end of the age. That, That doesn't change and never has changed. But look at what the scripture says about grace coming into the earth. John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 17. The scripture says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that's obviously speaking about Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the one who introduced us to truth, but he also introduced us to grace. In fact, the scripture puts grace before truth. Um, And so grace 
was not really a concept that had been taught uh, in the earth until our Lord Jesus Christ uh, came into the earth. And so we are saved by grace. It is not of works. And the scripture is very uh, famous on that issue. The scripture is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The scripture says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so salvation is a free gift because we could not do anything to earn salvation. Um, God had to do it all. And so God then sent His Son. He became our atoning sacrifice. And that's the grace of God. And so all of us who are born again are saved by grace. It is God's gift to us. Uh, there's nothing we can do to earn it. We receive it by faith. And even the faith that we have to believe the gospel is a gift given to us by God. For that's the gift that He speaks about. Um, and so it's not of works lest anyone should boast. So nobody can go out there and, Lord, watch me. I'm going to get into heaven by my works. You're not going to get there. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, yes, that's how we come into this kingdom. It is by grace, through the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. He introduced us to the concept. But I'm not going to get into that in any kind of depth today because we're talking about in this series the fact that we've born, been born free from sin and thus we can walk free from sin. And so we need to understand how grace impacts on the life of the believer in their walk as believers. So we come into this kingdom by grace and we're saved by grace. But what, once we're saved by grace, we are then placed into grace. Now it's a very important concept for us to understand and, you, and, and as we get through the teaching so you'll understand it. The scripture says in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 to 2, scripture says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so we see in this passage of Scripture that all believers um, stand in grace. Now, why is that important? Why is it necessary for believers to stand in grace? Well, because if we weren't under grace, we would have to be under law, because we can only be under one or two. God only recognizes the two. He recognizes his own law, which is the law of the conscience, and anybody who transgresses that law dies spiritually and thus incurs the wrath of God. They, every, the Bible says that the, this world is subject to the wrath of God. When I say subject to, they are under the wrath of God. Now, they don't have to be there. God has made a provision for everyone to come out from under the wrath of God and come and stand in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. And, and so God recognizes those who are under grace. He recognizes those who are in the world, they are under his wrath. But those who are in Christ are under the grace of God. And we stand in this grace. Now it's very important for us to stand in grace. Why is that? Romans chapter 6 verse 14. The scripture says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Talking about believers now. For you are not under law, but under grace. And so, because we stand in grace, we are under grace. And we're no longer under law. 
Before we came into the kingdom, we were under law. And because we were under law, sin had dominion over us. We dealt with that right at the outset of the series. That we said that sin was the master and we were the slave. But the old man dies, the slave dies, and the master can no longer exercise dominion over a dead slave. And so we come into this kingdom and we stand under grace. We're not under law. Because we're under grace and not under law, sin doesn't have dominion over us. <coughs> Excuse me. And because sin doesn't have dominion over us, spiritual death cannot impact on us. Because we saw in an earlier scripture that death comes through sin. And, you, and so one has to commit sin in order for spiritual death to occur. can't happen any other way. Sin is the door for spiritual death to enter. But because now Christians do continue to commit sin, we know that. We, we obviously try to teach on this subject that we don't have to commit sin. We shouldn't commit sin. Now, again, we, in this series, we're dealing with known sin. The unknown sin is not an issue. But Christians do commit sin. So if Christians were still under the law, the moment that one was born again and they committed any sin, no matter what sin it is, their spirits would die straight away again because they're under law. And they, because there's no grace under law, the consequence of any sin is that spiritual death occurs. But when Christians are born again, they are taken out from under law and placed under grace. And because they're under grace, they can, and even because they do commit sin, spiritual death cannot enter because they're under grace. They're protected by grace. And so sin has no dominion over them, and therefore sin cannot impact on the spirit of the born-again believer. And that's why the spirit of the born-again believer remains alive even though the Christian does commit sin. Because, again, let's go back to children again. Children up until the age of 13, their spirits are alive. They're committing sin all the time. But because they're under this grace period, and I, we, I, I use the term grace, it's not really, but it, it brings the concept across. Because they're in this period where God deems them to have no knowledge of good and evil, He does not impute that sin to them, their spirits remain alive. But at the age of 13, God says, okay, now you are accountable for your sin, and so when they commit sin, because they're under law, their spirits die. Paul said, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He's speaking about his spirit. His spirit died at the moment he committed that sin. And so with regards to Christians, when we get born again, um, because we're not under law, when we commit sin, it doesn't impact on our spirits at all. Our spirits remain spiritually alive. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that new creation is in Christ, under grace. And because we're in Christ and we're under grace, no matter what sin we commit as believers, and no matter how many times we commit sin, it does not impact on our spirits. Our spirits remain spiritually alive. And so that's a very important truth for us to realize and understand um, as believers. But that truth gets abused. Because believers recognize, okay, I can commit sin and it doesn't impact on my spirit. I remain a son of God because it, we, we do. We remain children of God. Um, now I can use that as a cloak for vice. And Peter says you shouldn't do that. And so they do. They use that as a cloak for vice. They continue in sin because they recognize they still are children of God. 
And, and so we'll get to what God says on that issue. But that's where grace gets abused. So God, but it's very important though that we that grace is there because otherwise, as I say, we would then die spiritually. So that's one aspect of grace, a very important aspect of grace. Another aspect of grace is the fact that grace is God's enabling us to do that which He's called us to do. And one of the things God has called us to do is to walk free from sin. We saw in the, in the previous uh, teachings about. God says, you know, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And so God's admonition to his children, don't walk in sin. Now, he doesn't just tell us not to do that. He gives us the grace to be able not to do that and to be able to walk in righteousness and not walk in sin anymore. So again, God would be unjust if he told me not to do something that I can't do. But he's not unjust, so God, when he says, don't commit sin anymore, he gives me the grace to actually not commit sin anymore. So let's have a look at some scriptures along that line. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. Um, the apostle says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's more grace we're still going to encounter when our Lord Jesus returns to the earth. Uh, that's our resurrected bodies and entering into uh, the reality of eternal life. Now, when I say the reality, it doesn't mean we are meant to be experiencing uh, degrees of eternal life in this life. We, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So that's right now, present tense. However, we're going into a period of eternal life where we will experience the perfection of what life is really all about. So that grace is still to be materialized. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the, lust, the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I'm holy. And so there again, God is now saying, guys, I'm holy. You're to be holy. So God would be unjust to tell us to do something that we cannot do, but we can. We have this ability to walk in the holiness that God is in, kind of, because He is holy, and so He says we should walk in holiness. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Speaking of Jesus our Lord, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he's talking specifically about being tempted in sin, and Jesus was tempted the same that we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, Let us therefore... Come boldly where? To the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so when we are being tempted to commit sin, that's where we go. We go to the throne of grace so that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Because Jesus has been tempted just like we, were, we have been tempted and he never sinned. And so we go to him, Lord, I need your grace in this area. The Lord's grace is then imparted to us, and we're able to also walk free from sin in that area. And so if we're having problems in our lives that we, as believers that we're not overcoming, that's where we go. We go to the Lord Jesus. 
and we ask for His grace, and He imparts His grace to us. Now, when He does, that is His enabling us to be able to walk victorious in that particular area of our lives. That's what He does. Uh, let's have a look at another scripture that just highlights the fact that the, the grace of God is imparted to us in order to, for us to be able to walk as He's called us to walk. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, And He said to me, this is our Lord speaking to the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, Most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon you. Oh, upon me, sorry. And so our Lord is, the Apostle Paul is likening the power of Christ to his grace. Because it's the power of God, we've said it all before in this series, that if we're going to walk in this, we have to believe it. Because when we do attach our faith to it, that is when we release the power of God in us to be able to walk through in this life that he's called us to walk, a righteous lifestyle before him, free from all sin. And so that is another aspect to the grace of God. God's grace enables us to live as He's called us to live. Otherwise, God would be unjust to tell us to be holy if we didn't have this ability to be holy. But He imparts His grace to us, thus giving us the ability to walk in holiness. So that's another aspect of grace. Another aspect of grace is the Lord grace gives us time to repent. Now, I've said one of the, the, the truths of grace is, is that when we commit sin, it has no impact on my spirit at all. Um, because my spirit, we're under grace. And so that's what keeps my spirit alive. I need grace, otherwise my spirit would die when I commit sin. Um, and so that's the one aspect of grace. And that's where grace gets abused. But our Lord doesn't just give us a blank check on this issue. Um, because... The Lord does want us to live a holy lifestyle. He wants us to live a righteous lifestyle. And so, as a loving parent, when he sees his children stepping out of line and not walking as they ought to walk, well, eventually discipline does materialize. And that's another truth that's not taught too often in the church, but it's a very important truth, and it's, it's the New Testament through and through. That when we step out of line, God is our loving Father. Our Lord said, For whom I love, them I also chasten. And so the Lord chastens those whom He loves, which is us. Why does He do that? In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, So that we can become partakers of His holiness. And that's talking about chastening. And we just saw, our Lord, uh, that we are meant to be holy because He is holy. We are meant to walk in holiness. So part of the Christian walk is God is wanting us to be transformed into the image of His Son. He's predestined each one of us to be transformed into the image of His Son. And so that's what God's goal is for each one of us. And so when we start walking in sin, well then, he's, God's eventually going to have to deal with the sin as a loving parent to get us back on track. But... God never disciplines, and that's what chastening is. Chastening is the, is the discipline that we experience from the Lord. But he never, God never chastens us straight away when we commit sin. Look at the scripture. <clears throat> Verses, uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The scripture says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, 
not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And so the, the first, prize for our, first prize for us is not to commit sin. Second prize is that when we do commit sin, is to repent of our sin. We apply 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that is repentance. And what happens is, is when we commit sin and we continue to practice it, uh, whatever sin it might be, it might be a sin of anger, that the one person just battles with keeping their temper under control. Why is that? Because the, the fruit of self-control is not very strong in their lives. And so God doesn't, when the person loses their temper, judge them straight away and discipline them straight away. No, God gives them time and his long-suffering and forbearance leads them to repentance. And so he's a, he's a good shepherd and he wants to lead us back into green pastures. He doesn't want us out there in the wilderness. And so his, his goodness leads us to repentance. Um, and another scripture we can look at, this is a very graphic account of showing us how the Lord doesn't discipline his children straight away. He always gives us time to repent of our practiced sin that we might be practicing. Um, so we're doing a particular sin and we're not getting it right. And so the Lord gives us time to get that area right. But eventually he will then step in and start disciplining. Now the time period that he's giving us is a period of grace. Think about the children again age 0 to 13. That's a grace period. God doesn't discipline them. His, their parents do, obviously. But because God does not hold them accountable for the sin that they committed, God doesn't get involved um, in the chastening of their sinful practices. That's what their parents are there for. God doesn't... Uh, he defers to the parents in those issues. But with regards to us now, when we're born again, we have one parent, which is Jesus and God our Father. There, God is our Father. And so we, we are in His family. And so in His family, when we start practicing sin, He gives us time to repent. And that's a grace period. So He never, the moment we commit sin, He chastens us straight away. Not at all. He gives us time to repent. Only if we choose not to repent does then the discipline of God start. But in that interim period, that's the grace period of God. Look at the, the scripture on this issue. Revelations chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. This is our Lord speaking. He says, And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And so you have our Lord is speaking about one of his daughters who had gotten into sexual immorality. And our Lord didn't chasten her straight away, but he gave her time to repent. So that's grace. That's the Lord's grace um, because now there's no judgment incurred in her life at that time. But she chooses not to repent. And so our Lord says, okay, well now I'm going to start chastening her. It's going to start judging her. And the judgment that our Lord pronounces on her is he casts her into a sickbed, so she falls ill. And the whole point of it is to again get her to repent and get her back into fellowship with him. And that's what um, the Lord's chastening is all about. 
not it's not vindictive it's purely to bring us into that place where we can walk in the holiness that he's called us to walk in so we can walk in the fellowship that he wants to have with us and enjoy with us sin separates us from the fellowship she she was still his daughter all the way through while she was committing the sexual immorality the lord acknowledged her as a daughter as his daughter um, so she hadn't lost her salvation but because she hadn't repented, he gave her time. He just left her alone. He gave her time to repent. She chose not to repent. God then stepped in and started to chasten. Even in the chastening, she still remained his daughter. So just because God had placed her into a sickness upon her and put her into a sick bed, didn't mean he now disowned her. She was still his daughter. He's still trying to get her to repent. So all through the process of the chastening, Lord, we still belong to God. That's No one's lost their salvation on that issue. Um, but there is one area where there is no grace period for repentance. And judgment is pronounced straight away. And chastening is pronounced straight away. And that is the area where we partake of the communion uh, table of the Lord. Let's have a look at the scripture on that issue. 1 Corinthians 11 uh, verse 27 to 32. The scripture says, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. And so when one partakes of the communion table of the Lord in an unworthy manner, there's no grace there. The scripture says, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. So straight away judgment is pronounced. The Lord takes that particular sin quite seriously, well, very seriously, obviously, because of the fact that, what is he talking about? He's saying that somebody who's practicing a lifestyle of sin and then comes to partake of the communion elements is being um, insulting the spirit of grace because when we partake of the bread and the wine, we are saying, Lord, I remember what you have done for me. You have paid the price for my sin, thus cleansing me from all sin. And we're thanking him for that. We remember his death and what he did for us. Now, one who is practicing sin and then partakes of those elements while they're practicing sin, that's an insult to the Spirit of Christ because they're saying, you know, the sin that I'm in, I'm, my, my flesh is enjoying I can do this because of what you did for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you know, you've enabled me to be your child and still commit sin. Now, as I say, that is an absolute, absolute insult to the Spirit of grace. And so judgment is pronounced straight away because that's partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. So there's no grace there. And the church at Corinth, a lot of them had become sick because of that. A lot of them become weak. And some of them had actually incurred early death. So that's an area where grace is not applied. The Lord's chastening takes place straight away. They still remain children of God. Even those who had died early death, they still went absent from the body to be present with the Lord. So nobody lost their salvation. 
but nevertheless the, ch the chasing of the Lord took place straight away there was, no, there was no period where the Lord stood back and gave them time to repent so it's a very important issue when we partake of the communion of the, at the table of the Lord that we make sure that we are partaking in a worthy manner that we have no unconfessed sin before the Lord before we partake of those elements because it's um, deep, very serious in heaven if we choose to transgress there. However, so that's grace and how grace is applied to the life of the believer. But there is a limit to grace. Grace is not unlimited. Uh, and in this area, in the area of sin, grace has its limits. And this is where <coughs> the, the teaching gets a bit distorted again because you know, you get the, the, the teaching in the church that says once saved, always saved. And that is so untrue. That is so unscriptural. Every single book in the New Testament preaches against that. Every single one. There's not one book that's written that doesn't teach that our Christians can lose their salvation if they meet the requirements. Um, and so, you know, once saved, always saved. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches that. But anyway... So grace gets abused because people say, well, that's great. I can sin. My spirit remains alive. I still am a child of God. That's true. But grace does have its limits. So let's look at a couple of scriptures to just, and I'm not going to get into the teaching about the fact that there is the sin to death. John speaks about it in his epistles. He says there's sin not to death and there's a sin to death. When, we, when a Christian commits a sin to death, he says you can't even pray about that. Because there's no recourse for that. Because they, they have once again died spiritually. And so Jude calls it twice dead. Um, anyway, so th th that is the, the sin. And there is such a thing as a sin to death. Let's look at two scriptures that just show us that there is this limit to grace in this area. And it's not to be abused. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5. The Apostle Paul uh, speaking, he says, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In context, what has happened here is there was a member of the congregation in the church at Corinth who had started to live in sexual immorality. The sexual immorality that he was committing it was living with his father's wife. Paul judged him. And Paul said, you as the elders of the church need to get together and this is the judgment we're going to pronounce on him. We're going to deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. What does he mean? He means he is going to die physically, die an early death. Why does Paul make that judgment on him? Because he says the reason is that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the Apostle Paul recognized that if they left this particular... This believer was unrepentant. The church had spoken to him, he chose not to repent. And so Paul said, this is now the judgment we're going to pronounce on him. He's going to die physically. Why is he going to die? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So in other words, he would die physically, but he would be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. So he would still remain a son of God, even though he died in the sin of adultery. But Paul recognized that there was a limit to grace. And so he said, we need to make this intervention now while he is still spiritually alive. Because if we leave him alone, he's going to get to the point that John spoke about, the sin to, and he will commit the sin to death. When he does, his spirit will die, and he can no longer be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. His spirit will no longer be saved. And so Paul made the intervention in his life at that time. 
because Paul recognized that grace has its limits. And he also taught on it in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. The Apostle Paul speaking to Christians now. He's not talking to the unsaved. He's talking to those who are believers. He says, do not be deceived, Christian. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. That word corruption is death, spiritual death. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So he's saying Christians who continue, continue to practice sin and continue to sow to their flesh will eventually reap destruction, spiritual death. Because there is this limit. God's grace does run out. And so um, the Apostle um, James says it, that when each one is uh, enticed and drawn away by his own desires, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Not talking about physical death, talking about spiritual death. And so Christians can, if they continue down a path of practicing sin, they will be hardened to the point that eventually they will commit the sin to death. The sin to death is to deny Christ. The only way into the kingdom of God is to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. The only way out of the kingdom of God is deny Jesus as Lord. And Christians can and do get to that point where they are so hardened by the deceitfulness of sins that they eventually are not interested in Christianity anymore. They're not interested in serving the Lord anymore. They deny Him as their Lord and they go back into the world. That's the sin to death. That's when their spirits die once again and there's no more recourse. There's no more sacrifice for their, uh, to be able to be brought back into the kingdom of God. The book of Hebrews is very plain on the issue. And so that's just pointing out that we're under grace. It's very important for us to be under grace because if we weren't, we would all be lost again. But there's the limit to grace and we need to be careful in this area that we don't get drawn down the road which takes us to the end of the road which is committing the sin to death and that's when grace no longer applies. And so that's kind of the, the teaching on grace in this area and how it applies to us walking free from grace, uh, free from sin in this area. And uh, we're going to end the teaching on that particular point today. Amen.